and chapter number 1. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 10 through 12 this morning. This is another one of those portions of Scripture as we, we make our way through expositionally through the book of First Peter that I don't think I've ever until this prior week heard a sermon based upon these uh, three verses. And the reason is, it's, it's one of those areas where you just don't find, a, in, at first glance, a whole lot of, I hate to use the word meat, but, but, but that's exactly what I would, would say, that, that there's a reason we haven't heard messages from these, it's because there's, there's a, a lot here that you would only understand or that you would only apply if you had come to it expositionally, verse by verse. Uh, and so the truth of the matter is there's a lot of meat here, and the reason that we're going to benefit from it is because we have benefited on that which has come before it. So this morning, for the sake of context, I'm going to read again all the verse from verse 1 down through and including verse number 12, so that we can piece this whole uh, picture together in Peter's introduction uh, this in this epistle. So if you found First Peter and you're willing and able, would you stand with me this morning in honor of reading God's Word? First Peter chapter number 1, beginning to read in verse number 1, the Word of God says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, this is our text this morning, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that, they have, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you that by your spirit, Lord, we can comprehend and understand your word. And Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to rightly divide it, that God, it would encourage and strengthen our faith as we, as we see the, the fullness of this picture this morning. I pray, God, that it would encourage us, and Father, that it would grow us. 
Lord, we desire nothing more, nothing less to worship you, to grow in you, and then to take what we have been given and trusted, Lord, and go into the world around us. And Father, proclaim this good news. And so, Father, we pray that you would add your blessing to your word this morning in a way that we could never do. And I pray, Lord, as your servant, as I proclaim this truth today, God, would you cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to be a blessing to your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Title of the message this morning is Prophets, Preachers, and Angels. Prophets, Preachers, and Angels. We see each of these referenced here in these short three verses. I wrote just a a short introduction to to help us to frame the the thought that I want to share with us this morning. In life, there are many labors that produce instant results. Within a matter of months, a carpenter can stand back and see the fruits of his labor in the building of a home. Within the matter of minutes, a family can sit around the supper table and enjoy a meal that mother has prepared. Within a matter of seconds, you can prepare and enjoy a cup of hot coffee. But there are other things that the process is not so immediate. Think, for example, about an apple tree. Certain varieties of apples can take 8 to 10 years after planting that tree to produce fruit. Likewise, as we think of the rapidly approaching Christmas season, a Christmas tree takes many years to reach its desirable size. But nevertheless, someone must plant and protect these trees in order that there is a harvest at some point in the future. While this analogy is not perfect for the text before us today, we do see many similarities concerning the work of the prophets, preachers, and the angels. For hundreds of years, God spoke to and through prophets of old, who although they were used in their immediate context to their generation, oftentimes they seen no fruit for their labors, except that of the impending judgment of God upon the sin-hardened hearts of their hearers. But God spoke to them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, specifically to fulfill His ultimate plan of redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, all the labors of the prophets predicted and pointed. However, they themselves would not enjoy the same fashion or would not enjoy in the same fashion as you and I the work of the cross of Christ. Nevertheless, their faithfulness, empowered by the Spirit of Christ, has brought forth and continues to bring forth the salvation of God's people throughout the ages." Each and every generation has a purpose in God's glorious plan of salvation by grace, through faith in Christ. Even today, as the prophets have spoken, as preachers are proclaiming, and the angels are ministering with fascination, the gospel continues to go forth, and God's church is being built. Faithfulness today is the means of God's glories today and forevermore. The witness of the past is strength for the present 
and the work of the present is the fuel for the future. So with those thoughts in mind, we see here in 1 Peter chapter 10, again, building upon these, these principles by principle, Peter makes this statement concerning this salvation. And in that, that phrase, concerning this salvation, he is pointing back to everything that we have studied in those first nine verses. He's pointing out to us, the, the, again, the, the order in which we were brought to faith. And he's pointing out to us, again, the richness of the salvation which we have received. And he says, concerning all those truths, concerning all the salvation that you have experienced, that you have been gifted by God, and, 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 and continuing to persevere through the different difficulties of your life. He says, concerning this salvation, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now, I just want to point out to you something again in passing here. If we go down to verse number 13, the first word we see there is therefore. We notice how these things are building one upon another. And so when we get to verse 13, we're going to again incorporate everything that we've already looked to or looked at specifically, and we're going to build on that to go from the, uh, from the principle to our practice in this book. But here we see again, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. There was a searching of the prophets, and there was also a serving of the prophets. Now, the office of prophet was instituted in Deuteronomy chapter number 18, and the first prophet that was defined or declared to be a prophet was the man Moses. And Moses, along with all the other Old Testament prophets, they were men who were speaking from God to man concerning the things of salvation, and that is specifically in the context of our verse, the grace concerning this salvation. So salvation and grace are never ever separated. There is always wherever there's salvation, there is grace involved. Wherever there is there is grace, the grace of God, you can find the salvation of God. But without the grace of God, you will never have salvation. And so salvation by definition is is being saved and the way by which God saves us is through grace. And the prophets themselves had a a two-part ministry. That is to say that God if we when we think about Moses specifically, Moses was uh, the prophet who, who brought to us specifically the law of God. Now, there was laws of God prior to the Mount Sinai experience, but God had not defined his laws quite so specifically as he did there on Mount Sinai through the ministry, through the mediator of Moses. Moses was the mediator in the sense that he would speak to God, or God would speak to him rather, and then, then Moses would take that message from God and he would bring it to the people. Now, when we study, we can't go back and study all, all over again, but, but in Exodus, when we, when we think about Moses and the way that he became the prophet, the reason that he became the prophet of God uh, was because the people were afraid to speak to God. They were afraid to have that face-to-face communion. And why was that? It was because of their sinfulness, right? We know that that when Moses was speaking to the people on behalf of God, they would say, well, you go tell God this, or you go inquire God that, because they had a fear of God because of what they had done and who they were. 
And so this office of prophecy was instituted specifically in the, in the life of Moses and then carried out uh, through the remainder of our Old Testament through these prophets, the, uh, the major and the minor prophets, not minor in the aspect that they are lesser prophets, but that they gave us less scripture than the major prophets. So the office of prophecy, or prophet rather, was their purpose was to speak from God to man concerning two things, the law and the gospel. They were bringing both. And we, we, we must have a right relationship with both of those things that God has given us. He is the God of law and he is also the God of the gospel. And their ultimate purpose in proclaiming the law and the gospel was to proclaim salvation by grace. One of the clearest statements that we find in the Old Testament from the prophet Jeremiah is found in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, speaking of, predicting, foretelling the word of the new covenant. Listen carefully to what Jeremiah has recorded. In Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the office of prophet was one that ushered in and pointed towards the grace of God, the salvation of God, and specifically in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And concerning this, again, we're building off of everything we've already looked at in the first nine verses here. He says, concerning this, notice what the, the prophets were doing. They were searching and inquiring carefully. They were searching and inquiring carefully. Now, the reason that they were searching and inquiring carefully was because as God was giving them the revelation by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were writing down what God was telling them to say, to record, but they did not fully understand what it was all about. And, and we see this over and over again as we study the prophets of the Old Testament. But the who and the when, the things that they were searching and inquiring, were concerning the who and the when about Christ's sufferings, and the glory that follows. As God revealed the truths concerning the coming Christ, the prophets were sometimes overwhelmed by what God showed them. Their searching and careful examination was largely due to the fact that they could not fully comprehend the profundity of what God was showing to them. Now, we could go to a lot of different examples this morning, but for sake of, of time, we will just look at one. So if you, have, you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. 
Daniel chapter number 10, we're going to see this principle, uh, literally apply this idea to the prophet Daniel. And specifically in chapter number 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Listen carefully. This is the description of Daniel's vision of a man. His His vision of a man. It says, in the third year, chapter 10 of Daniel, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Listen to what it says, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. I'm going to just pause there for a minute. Daniel is describing to us how he received this vision, and there were people in his presence that were not seeing the same things that he was seeing, but it affected them to the point that it scared them and they ran away. Okay, I just want to make that that note. It was that powerful. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Verse 9, then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been I have now been sent to you, and when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now that's an important phrase right there, verse 14. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left 
in me. So Daniel is, a, is an example here of how, first of all, he received a vision specifically of this man, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the, the vision of the man that he was receiving was of the Christ. He was receiving the vision of the coming Messiah. And he literally says, verse 14, for this vision or for the vision is for days yet to come. In other words, it had its immediate effects on Daniel and the people around him, but the main purpose of the vision that Daniel was receiving was not specifically for them, but it was for us. So that when we study the Old Testament, we can see how he was, how Christ was foreshadowed and typified so that when we come into the New Testament and we see in the, the Gospels the person and the work of Christ and we go back and we connect him to what the Old Testament prophets had written about him, that our faith in Christ would do what? That it would increase. Listen, can I put it this way? That everything that is written in the Old Testament is relevant to your life and to mine. It is a Christian book just as much as the New Testament is. And its whole purpose is pointing forward to Christ. And as we study the Old Testament, it should strengthen our faith in who he is and what he has done because God told us what was going to occur before it ever happened. And we see these things over and over again. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 26 through 28. Ezekiel says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they are of the house of Israel, or, Behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, speak to them. Thus says the Lord God, none of my words will delay any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. That is a promise that God was giving these promises and making these predictions through these men who were searching and, and, and carefully examining the scriptures. God was confirming his work in, in Christ Jesus. Habakkuk chapter 2, the last one, and then we'll move on. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, he says to Habakkuk, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the prophets had to be given these encouragements from God that the things you're writing about, although you're not seeing take place right here and right now, they're going to happen. And so just as much as you and I are eagerly anticipating the second advent, the second coming of Christ, these men were anticipating the first coming of Christ. And all that they were doing, the ministry that they were doing, it had its immediate effect on the people around them, but it was also and ultimately serving generations that were yet to be born. This revelation was received for the coming of generations. So these men were searching the scriptures, the, the very scriptures that they had received from God, they were searching them and they were studying them carefully because they come to learn that they were actually serving generations that were yet unborn. Now, I want to just 
make an application to that specifically, and that application is going to be reinforced by our next point as we go through this, as we move on to the preachers. But, but think about that, that these men, the prophets of the Old Testament, they really didn't get to see the fruits of their labors in its fullness. In other words, we stand here today, we are gathered here today as a, a group of New Testament believers, and we are here today largely due to the fact that God had ordained these prophets hundreds and, and, and over thousand years ago to write the things down that they have recorded in order that our faith in Christ could be made so sure, so, so, uh, so powerfully connected that we can go through the scriptures and we can see the work of Christ all throughout the way. Next, the Spirit-inspired message and prophetically prepared preachers. Notice again in verse... i got to get to 1 Peter. I'm in Daniel. All right, back in 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time... That, that word time could also be interpreted rightly, circumstances, inquiring what person or time, circumstances, the Spirit of Christ in them. Notice God, it was Christ was working in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. We'll stop there. So the message that the prophets had given was now in turn, if we, if we follow it in succession, we had the prophets of the Old Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament were, uh, it came to its pinnacle with the ministry of who? Who was the last Old Testament prophet? It's kind of a trick question. It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet because as he comes onto the scene, his full and final uh, work of, of the prophetic, if you will, was to usher in the kingdom of heaven. That, that, that he was the one to make straight the paths of the Lord. And he came proclaiming in Matthew chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament says, it's here. The, the new covenant has come. The kingdom of God has made its appearance on earth. And then we see instantly it goes from there to Matthew chapter 4 and it says Christ, after he's baptized, begins to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his message was the same as John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist, ending the, the office of the Old Testament prophet, ushering in the coming of Christ, and then there's this, this, uh, this period of time where the ministry is, is, if you will, in transition. The prophets, their, their job, their work in, in stating what is yet to happen has been fulfilled. And now Christ comes and he, he chooses for himself 12 disciples. And those 12 disciples, minus Judas Iscariot, plus Matthias and the Apostle Paul, we have the ministry of the apostles. 
And so the prophets then hand the torch, if you will, to the apostles. And the apostles, as they establish the New Testament church, then in turn pass that baton to the, uh, to the other generations. And the other generations are, are the work of the elders. That's why, that's why Paul was calling Titus and Timothy to appoint elders in every town. And we commonly refer to those elders as the preachers. And the reason that we refer to them as preachers and pastors is because they were those, those as, as verse 12 says, who preached the good news by the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is a foundation which cannot fail. Those who are preaching the gospel, present tense, those who have preached the gospels, past tense, those who will preach the gospel in the future, however long God should tarry, they are building on a foundation of the prophets and the apostles, specifically on the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's message It's God's messengers, it's God's method for doing this evangelism, and the recipients are gifted by God this wonderful grace of faith. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. You could literally insert your name into that sentence. That they were serving not themselves, but they were serving you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is a fascinating thing when you really stop and think about it. How, how an omnipotent God desires and ordains the use of his people to bring about the furtherance of his kingdom. Now, I want us to really get this point today because... Because I sometimes think that we we lose sight of how important it is what we are doing right now. Uh, when, when I think about the life of a church and, and the, the ministry work of that church and the function of that church, there's, there's three things that have been, been running through my mind. And I shared these with, with my wife uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and that is that our number one priority as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our number one priority is that we worship God. That we come together, we sing praises to Christ, we, we come together, we study His Word, we come together, we, we pray to God, we worship God in spirit, that is, empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and in truth. That is to say that we do so according to what the Word of God says. That we worship God in spirit and in truth. That is our number one priority. We must worship God. Why must we worship God? Because He is worthy, and furthermore, He demands that we worship Him. So that's our number one goal. We must worship God. That's why we would go to great lengths to meet in a fire hall to have church. Because we must worship God. And we must worship God specifically, Hebrews 10, 25, Together, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've been called to assemble first and foremost to worship God. But here's the amazing thing, what happens? When we come together to worship God, we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say that our worship should indeed draw us closer 
to who God is and to what he has done. And furthermore, what he is conforming us to. We worship and we grow. We worship God and by worshiping God, we grow in Christ. But then the third aspect is that we would take the worship and the growth that we have in the Lord and we would spread that to those around us. So we worship, we grow, and we go. Because why? Because if, if we are going to be participants in God's plan of redemption throughout all generations, we must go and we must take the worship and the growth that we've received and spread it to those around us. Because let me put it this way. The reason you're here today, the reason that if you are in Christ, that you have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and you have repented of your sins and you have been gifted the grace of faith and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, the reason that you have experienced that is because the faithfulness of a generation, either present or, or gone. I can only imagine because of the, the, the variety of ages in here today, probably some of you were led to the Lord by a preacher who's dead and gone, right? They're, they're gone. But can I tell you that they fulfilled their purpose in that they were worshiping God, that they were growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they went, and they went in a way that they led someone else to faith in Christ. So why is it necessary? Why is it important that you and I are doing what we are doing right here today in this very hour, in this very place? Because it is the very means by which God is building His church. And generations that, if you will, are yet in the loins of our men are dependent upon our faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us. Why is it important that we worship? Because God uses it to build His kingdom. Because God uses it to draw others to Himself. And we stand here today as the recipients of, these, of this message, this good news that was proclaimed by the power of the Holy Spirit through those who God had, had if you will, I, I, I tend to not like this terminology, but I believe it's appropriate. The, those whom God has anointed to do this work. And God has brought about this salvation Peter says concerning this salvation, this salvation by grace in Christ. We have searching and serving prophets of old, and then we have this spirit-inspired and prophetically prepared preachers. We are not, we are not pioneers in the Christian faith. We are building on that which has been built already. We don't have to reinvent anything. We just have to carry the baton of each generation and pass it along to the one that is coming, the one that is present. I love the fact that we, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, I don't like to see our children removed from our worship. Because why? Because they need to learn how to become worshipers. And I know full well how frustrating it can be to sit there and endure the wiggles of their pants, right? But can I tell you, it's worth every ounce of effort because we are training up future worshipers who will, who will, by the grace of God, grow 
in the knowledge of Christ, and they too will go and spread this good news. Listen, I want you to, I want you to understand that you are part of something far bigger than yourself. We are, we are part of a work that, is, that is, has an audience of one. A, a God who is, who is watching, a God who is listening, a God who is blessing, a God who is giving His, his stamp of approval through, I mean, just, just amazing blessings that you and I experience day in and day out. And then also, look at the third dimension of this. There is salvation, fascinated angels. <laughs> the angels are absolutely fascinated by what you and I have received in Christ. And the reason that they are fascinated by it is because they never have, nor will they ever experience what you and I have. The angels do not know what it is to experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they would love to. And Peter is pointing that out. Notice how he puts it. He says, things into which angels long to look. This this idea of angels longing to look, it literally means that salvation is so incredible to the angels that they... This long to look, it, it, it's, it carries with it the idea of stretching their, their necks forward, bending over to see it. That they're bending forward with a desire to know more about it. The angels want to know all about the salvation that you and I receive. Now, maybe you've never thought about this before. But I believe that this text is telling us that there is a, a good kind of jealousy. There is a sinful kind of jealousy, right? That you covet, you want what's not yours and, and that you can't have it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be jealous about what someone else has. But then there's another kind of jealousy that actually is, is righteous jealousy. It's okay because, because God's permitted it to be so. And this kind of jealousy is what, what the angels are experiencing. They, they have a desire to look into the way in which God is redeeming his own creation so much so that they long to look into it. They, they long to hear it. Uh, uh, I know we referenced this at some point in the, in the past that, that I don't believe there's ever a time, there's never a time that we assemble as a body of Christ to worship God that we're not in the company of his angelic beings. You can't see them, you, you, you probably can't feel them, but I, I believe wholeheartedly the word of God uh, uh, con- confirms it, that they're in our presence. And the reason they're here is they are ministering bodies that have been ordained by God, created by God, to minister on behalf of God to God's people. In other words, the ministry of angels is specifically to God's people. And so they help us to worship. They help us to sing. Listen, maybe we, I could use a, a healthy dose of angelic song, right? That they, they could help me to worship God better by singing better. But nevertheless, they're in our presence and they are fascinated by the salvation that God has given to us by grace, through faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the angels are amazed by God's grace towards sinners. Now, when I was thinking about this and just pondering, and, and, I, and I was reading all kinds of stuff on, on, on it specifically, 
I thought about specifically the way that the Ark of the Covenant was built. All right? The Ark of the Covenant, listen to this. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 20. And the cherubims, cherubims are angels, okay? The cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Notice what it says. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. So surely most, if not all of us, have seen a picture, a representation of what the the Ark of the Covenant looks like, right? You've got this golden box, and on fastened to the top of it are these two cherubims, these angels, and they've got their wings stretched forward. They're looking at each other, but if you notice carefully, their heads are slightly down because they're looking specifically at the mercy seat, the place where the blood of the sacrifice would be placed on the day of atonement. And on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant, you have the staves, and there's a rod that goes through it, and the Kohathites were the only people that were supposed to take that up and to carry it. Anybody else touches the Ark of the Covenant, and you wind up like Uzzah, right? What happened to Uzzah? He touched the Ark of the Covenant, and God killed him. He killed him. You say, God, that's crazy. No, it shows us that we need to listen to God. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Don't build a new cart. The old way of doing it is good enough. That's not our message. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) these angels are even portrayed on the Ark of the Covenant in what Peter is talking about. They long to look. the, The angels were placed there, and they're staring specifically at this mercy seat. The place where when the blood is applied, what happens? The sins are forgiven. And they long to look in to the salvation that they will never, ever experience. Christ did not die to redeem anybody but people. And we are the recipients of His salvation, His grace in the blood of His Son. Today, today, I want us, I hope that this text encourages us to think about the great lengths that God has gone to and is currently going through in order to bring about the salvation of lost sinners. And furthermore, that the salvation that we receive and the salvation that we pass to other generations that maybe are yet to be born, there are angels who desire to see and to know all about this salvation. Now listen, angels were created being, meaning they did not live eternally, but they are immortal in that they will never die. And and this text is just as relevant today as it was in the day in which the Apostle Peter wrote it, which means means these same angels who are, are aging but not really, they're still longing to know more about it. Can I tell you that they probably know more about it than you and I do, but they still long to know more. They desire to look into it deeper. And I hope and I pray that, that it encourages us to do the same. That we, would, that we would desire to worship God in spirit and in truth and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And that we could fascinate the angels by the grace of God that has been given to you and I. And may God grant it that we would be faithful 
in passing this good news onto generations yet to be born. May God add the blessing to His Word today. Let's pray. Father, we again give You thanks and we give You praise for the abundance of Your grace and mercy. Father, we are so thankful to be the recipients of this message, of of this grace. And so, Lord, we give You thanks for all those that have labored on our behalf. And I pray, God, that You'd help us to be unselfish in our own labors. That, God, everything that we would do would first and foremost be done to Your glory and honor and praise. But, Father, specifically, that we would seek to glorify You in proclaiming the good news until You return. That, Father, others that are yet to be born would come to saving faith in Christ. And that, Father, we could go back to a place in time that, that we were faithful and that we were, we were doing what You called us to do. And, Father, You blessed it and You used it to bring others to Yourself. And Father, we can take no credit for that, but simply trust in You and Father, glorify You for gifting us this salvation in the first place. And so Lord, I pray that as a body of believers, that Father, You would help us to fulfill Your will in each and every one of our lives. Father, we love You, we praise You, we thank You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.